0: Amen. Hey, if you've got your Bible, grab your Bible. As Stephanie said, we're going to be on page 708, if you've got one of our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. We're continuing our study in the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 4 tonight, starting in verse 7. So if you're unfamiliar with how your Bible works... Like I said, we're in page 708, and the chapters are the big numbers, and the verses are the little numbers. So we're in chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. And we're going to read all the way through the rest of this chapter. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read these verses all the way through, and then we're going to watch a quick video that I think is going to kind of help us explain and understand how we should view this text that we're at right. It's going to kind of be uh, a metaphor for how we can understand this portion of the text and what's going on. So I'm going to read these verses, we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to dive into studying these verses briefly. So I'm going to start in verse 7. Everybody there? Chapter 4, verse 7? Here we go. All there? Okay. Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another. Lot his brother. That's pretty crazy, right? Man, I could just watch that over and over and over again. I'm going to be a J and teach from my computer today. That's a uh, work of art by a French artist named Bernard Croft. Um, and, and what he does is he takes these found objects, and as you see, they're uh, assembled as just kind of an odd assortment of different things. But if you're standing in just the right spot, it all comes together, and it makes a really cool picture. And apparently that's some important French guy. I have no idea who the actual picture is, but <laughs> if you're French, it makes sense. But <laughs> I just think the, the thing itself is super cool, right? And I, and I want us to look at that because I think that's gonna give us sort of an idea of how to navigate a bit of the book of First John. If you've been with us all semester and you've been reading through the, first, the book of First John, I wonder if you've uh, started to notice that it's a little repetitive you picked up on that, that he kind of says the same things over and over again, um, but it's always a little different when he says it. But he's kind of got this, he's kind of doing this circle. So, so as you've gone and we kind of go through things, we, we sort of started at the beginning and he's talking about like eternal life, life. And then he goes into light and darkness. And then he goes into talking about uh, what it means to be obedient to God. And then he moves into love. And then he moves into uh, false teachers and antichrists. And then what is true about Jesus. And then he says we should abide. And then he starts talking about. Life and then he goes into light and obedience and abiding and false teachers and then love and then obedience and then abiding and then false teachers. And and so he's kind of he's kind of going around and that's that's on purpose. okay? that that's um, that's how he's trying to every sort of pass around. He's wanting us to consider these things, these kind of seemingly disparate things from sort of different angles. And the verses that we're looking at today are, are just this beautiful moment in the book of 1 John where all of these sort of different things that he's been considering, they all come together. And you're looking at it at the right angle and it all just comes into this really cool focus for a second before it kind of passes back out and then we consider these objects by themselves. And so today we're going to kind of see where all of these things come together and and who can remember what we said uh the the kind of two big questions that the book of first John are trying to address are. Who can remember those? What's a Christian? Okay that's one of them. What is a Christian? Okay who is Jesus? Okay so so who is Christ and who is a Christian? Those are the two big questions and here too we see those questions both answered really with one word, love. So look at chapter 4, verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not not know God, because God is love. Did you see what it said there at the beginning? Love is from God. Love is from God. And so anyone who loves knows God, and anyone who does not know God cannot love. So as Stephanie said, we're building a new building. Okay, have this somebody walked by our building in a while? You've seen it? Man, that's a sweet building, okay? Um, Lord willing, this is the last time we'll be gathered together in this room like this. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? And, and I've been excited about this for a long... This has been a long time coming, this new building. And so as they've been building it, Stephanie and I and some of the staff, we've had chances to go into the building while they're building it, you know, and kind of look at things. And so there was one day, I remember, we went into the bathrooms. We were checking out the bathrooms because... <laughs> I'm excited about everything in this building, <laughs> even the bathrooms. <laughs> and so they were starting to put the stuff in there, installing all of the stuff, and so they had the sink in there. And it was really neat, okay? And it looked good. It looked like a sink. It had the faucet and everything. And I, and I walked up and I turned the handle. Nothing happened. Well, why not? Because the water wasn't turned on yet. It wasn't connected to the water. And so in our minds, we might think, well, yeah, water comes from the faucet. But is that actually true? No. The faucet is just a conduit that the water comes out of. So if the faucet is not connected to the water, it can't produce any water. Faucets don't produce water by themselves. And that's what John is saying about love. That humans cannot in and of themselves love, not the way that God loves, not the kind of love that we're going to define today. That apart from being connected to God, we are not capable of loving and if we are capable of loving, that's proof that we are born of God. Isn't that cool? This is what he's getting at when he says in chapter in verses 12 and 13, we're going to kind of skip around because John skips around. it's his fault.) <laughs> He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides. Remember that word abiding, it means remaining or dwelling in. Okay, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. (coughs) And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Do you hear the connection language? He's talking about being connected to God because he has given us his spirit. That's our connection. That's our conduit. We can love because we abide in God. And what that abiding, what that connection overflows in is love. Because love is from God. But in fact, it's more than that. What did it say at the end of verse 8? God is love. Stop and think about that for a second. Just, that's what I love about reading John is he uses really simple language. It's not hard to read, but these ideas, if you actually pause and consider it, will blow your... God is love. Not God is loving, or God is lovely. God is love itself. Think about that. What does that mean? And, and I hate, because this is such a profound idea, I hate how flippantly this phrase gets thrown around. Especially down here in the South where people are at least sort of familiar with things that the Bible says. I hear God is love all the time. Don't you? Mm -hmm. And I think what what that's speaking to is love is sort of a universal principle in our culture, isn't it? Like everybody would agree that love is a good thing. You go out and take a poll. Hey, what do you think about love? Yeah, I like it. You know, I love it. (laughs) Everybody thinks love is maybe the most important virtue that we have, okay? People say love is the answer. Love is all you need. (laughs) (laughs) But for as universal as that maybe uh, semantic definition that yes, love is a value, as universal as that idea of love is, when you actually start asking and getting behind what people mean when they use the word love, as universal as it seems, we find very quickly that we're using different definitions of the word love, don't we? Okay? In Greek, in the, in the language that the Bible is written in, um, they have four different words for love, which is a little bit more helpful because we use love in a variegated way, don't we? But even here, some people, when they say love is the most important thing, what they actually mean is tolerance. That's kind of their definition of love or affirmation, that's what they think love is, okay? Some people, when they say love, they're meaning pleasure. Or when they say love, they mean compassion. And so it's a loaded word for them. It's a symbol that's carrying different definitions for different people. And so there's some confusion. I remember one time I was talking to a girl. I was trying to share the gospel with her. And she came back and we were talking about Christianity and the claims of Christianity. And she says, I just don't think it's right For you guys to go around and say that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. I don't think that's what God does. God is love. And she's quoting the Bible. Is that what those verses mean? What is love? What is John talking about when he says love? What does love look like? Well, fortunately for us, he tells us in the next verses. So let's keep going. So he says, God is love. And in verse 9... In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That word manifest means revealed or made visible. So if you want to know what love is, he goes, this is where we got to see exactly what love is. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for sins. In this, the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only Son into the world. So you remember our big question, our other big question, who is Christ, who is Jesus? Well, John is saying that Jesus is the visible manifestation of God's love, that Jesus is love. And if Jesus is love, and God is love, then Jesus is God, is what he's saying. And what did Jesus do? Well, there's three things I want to give you so you can kind of remember these, okay? This is what we see. This is the nature of this love manifested. This is what love looks like when Jesus does it, okay? Firstly, Jesus gave us life. And secondly, he gave us life by giving himself. And then lastly, he did all of that when we had nothing to give. So he gave us life by giving himself when we had nothing to give. And these are all coming out of those verses. So look at this. He gave us life. Point number one in verse nine. He gave us life. It says, God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So what's the implication of that verse? He sent his son that we would live so what does that mean apart from Him? We're dead. That's what the Bible says, that each of us is dead in our trespasses and our sins. And we're, and we're doomed to die. So you may not feel dead right now, although many of you, maybe if you're in here and you don't know Christ, you're feeling that, yeah, I'm as good as dead. Nothing's working. I feel like my life is falling apart. I feel like every day is just a little bit of me dying on the inside. Because nothing is seeming right. And even more, that apart from being connected back to God, we are are dead and doomed to eternal death. And so Jesus looks down and he sees our greatest need and he sees that he's the only one as the author of life that can give us life. And so he comes to give us life. But how does he give us life? So this is the second point. He gave us life by giving himself. In verse ten, it says, "God sent His Son to be the propitiation." Anybody, when we read that word, you're like, "Yep, I'm out." Propitiation. I don't know what that. I don't know what that is. Uh, Propitiation. It's it's actually only in the book of First John that that word even comes up in the Greek. Okay, um, but it is a word that's got a lot of loaded meaning in that culture at that time. It's a word that, as other people were worshiping these false gods, if they had an impression that they had made their their god angry, their god was wrathful that they had screwed up somehow, they would bring a propitiation. It was a sacrifice. They would kill something and offer it as an atoning sacrifice to make amends with that God that was angry with them. So they would bring this propitiation to appease this God's wrath. But what's remarkable is that John is saying, rather than God asking us to bring a propitiation, God gave the propitiation. God gave the atoning sacrifice. He gave his son. But look what it says back in verse 10 at the beginning. This is important. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our what? Sins. Sent his son to die on the cross to be that sacrifice for our sins. That blows up that girl's argument that says, God is love. Do you see that? that if that's what God is love means, then why did Jesus die on a cross? If God is just buddy-buddy, affirming everybody, you do what you want, man, I love everybody, then why did his son die on a cross? Why was there a need for a propitiation? God was angry. And you need to get this. Sin makes God angry. We don't like to talk about God like that. But that is what God says. Our God is a just God. Our God is a holy God. And sin makes God angry. Your sin deserves the wrath of God. And until, look, if you're in here, and that until you can admit that you have sinned and that your sin is wrong and there's no way around it, that all sin is wrong, and God hates sin, until you can admit that, you can never know the love of God because the love of God was manifest that he sent his son to die for the wrath that you deserved for your sins. So if you say you have no sins, then you deceive yourself. Remember we saw this in chapter 1. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he gave his son to die. He gave himself to die. Why? Because that's love. That's what love looks like. And, verse point three, because we had nothing to give. Again, in verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That first part is really important. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. So don't be deceived. Don't get confused and think that you contributed somehow to this act of God loving you. That God loved you for any quality in yourself. That God loved you because you did something really nice for Him. That God is responding in some way to you. That's not how it works at all. He's saying, we didn't love God. Actually, the opposite is true. That Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that we were enemies of God. That we were hating God. And yet, while we were hating God, God loved us. Paul kind of says the same thing in in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Let me read this. for You don't have to turn there. But this is chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, for while we were still helpless. Think about what that really means. While we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. By good, he means someone that can offer something positively. Okay, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus gave us life by giving himself when we had nothing to give. That's the gospel. And if you're in here and you need to stop trying to give God something and just receive this love, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would know and admit that your sin is wrong and that's why Christ came because your sin defiles you and he wants to cleanse you of it. And that Jesus wants to give you life and you can't find life in anything else. And those of us that are in here that are Christians, we know that that's true. We know that that life is like, don't we? And it's good. So that's who Christ is. Love in the flesh. Love on a cross. Love made manifest. Loving the unlovable. So that's the first question. Who is Christ? But these verses also, like I said, when it all comes together, they also answer that other question. Who is a Christian? Okay? So look at this. This is in verse 11. Don't worry, we're not going to go nearly as long through those verses. Because we've got to get through the rest of this chapter. But it's all stemming from this. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See that word so in there? If you write in your Bible, underline that. That's That word so isn't like when we say... So, like it's, this is how big it is, okay? This is like, he loved me so much. That's not how the so here is working. It's God loved us like so. You get that? So if God so loved us, if God loved us like this, then we also ought to love one another like this. That kind of changes the way that that reads, doesn't it? So who is a Christian? Well, one who loves the same way that Christ loves. Okay, we'll keep going in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Man, I wish we had a whole week on those verses. Mm -hmm. No one has seen God, okay? Because Jesus, even when he was manifested in the flesh, he's gone now. So how do people see God now? When we love, oh, that's crazy. we can't even talk about it. (laughs) But remember, this love, it's not love the way that the world defines love. This is love the way God defines love. Look at, he unpacks this in these last verses. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Listen, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Remember, we talked about that wrath, your sin deserving wrath? Well, he's saying we have confidence on the day of judgment when that wrath would be coming. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, no fear of God's wrath. Oh, this, Man, I really, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another the same way. So we don't have a ton of time to go through this, but you guys can t- you can think through this yourself as we look at Christ the founder and perfecter of our faith and the way that He loved by giving life and giving Himself and giving it to those who had nothing to give, then we love the same way. You just work through that list. That we love others by giving life. Well, what does that mean? You know, Because we can't give eternal life the way that God can, but, but we, can, we can meet people's physical needs, can't we? We can help people have a better life We can help people flourish when when someone is hungry. Giving them food is giving them life in a way. Do you get that? By seeing whatever their needs are and meeting those needs. That's love. Love is not just an indifferent, yeah, I love everybody. No, you don't. Love is service. Love is meeting needs, real needs, giving life. And the most important need that any person has is eternal life in the gospel. And so you can love by telling people of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That is love. Giving life. And the way that you give life just like Christ is by giving yourself. Jesus gave everything. Could you imagine if Jesus just gave whatever spare bits of extra time he had laying around to your salvation? If Jesus tried to fit it in between chemistry homework and the volleyball team and... You know, i got to go home this weekend to see my folks. No, Jesus gave everything. And there was no maybe. Maybe, maybe I'll die on a cross. No. He gave everything. Can we give everything? That's love. Can we sacrifice? Can we give up our time? Can we give up our early mornings? Can we give up our late evenings? Can we give up our A's in class? Be careful with that, don't run off with that. <laughs> Some of you are like this. <laughs> See, average yeah, already, I'm good. No, but can we give, Our, can we give of ourselves? And lastly, can we give to those that have nothing to give? Think about this, think about the person in your life that you are the least likely to want to sit down and have a conversation with. Okay? For me, when I was in college and probably still when I walk around campus, if I see somebody with big Greek letters on their shirt, I'm like, oh man. I don't like that guy. Sorry. and sorry if you're in your fraternity. That's how I feel. Okay. Think of how Jesus felt when he looked down at me and my sin, my rebellion against him. What desires one might feel at someone so unlovable and different from himself. And yet Jesus went the greatest distance he could to come and give me everything that I need. There is no one on this campus or in the whole world who is more different from you than you are different from Jesus. And Jesus came and died for you. There's no one in this world more unlovable than you are unlovable towards God. And God loved you with his very self. So think about that person. a person that you would never be caught dead talking to. the person that you would be scared to spend time with and think that's exactly the kind of person that Jesus would go after. And this is love. We're going to end with this. Look at verse 19. If you're going to walk away just memorizing one little snippet from this portion, verse 19 would be it. Okay? I love this verse. Mostly because it's really short, so it's easy to memorize. Okay? So you can say, I did it. I got one. (laughs) We love because He first loved us. That carries into it all of those principles, like I said, about the water faucet. We love because He first loved us. Apart from Him connecting with us, we have no ability to love. We love because He first loved us. But it can be read another way. It can be read as a declaration, a statement, an anthem for what Christians are. We love. And we love because He first loved us. Memorize that. Let that be true for each of us. We go out into the world manifesting the love of God who no one has seen unless they see a Christian loving us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us and revealing your manifest love to us in Jesus. God, please help us to realize that our sin brings judgment brought judgment on your son and yet what wonderful grace that you gave your son to be the propitiation for our sins that is love and would we feel the depth of that love and it would overflow in joy and a love for you and would that love turn into love for others God we can't love anybody like Jesus on our own we can't try harder and love anybody we couldn't try hard and love you But God, thank you for this promise that you abide in us by your Holy Spirit and you make it possible for us to love the same way that you did. So Jesus, help us to love and give life to people that need life, that are looking for life in places where it can't be found. And help us to love by giving of ourselves the way that you gave of us. And Jesus, please help us to love those who are most unlovable, to go the greatest distances, to be with those who need you so desperately. Would you do this work in our group and the people and the men and women that are here in this room tonight? Would you do this work in our city and on our campus and in our churches and around the world? We ask for your glory that their fellowship would be with us and our joy would be complete. Amen. Amen.